and a warm welcome to the Middle East Institute at the National University of Singapore for the fourth lecture of the 2023's Middle East 101 lecture series. At this point, we are at the midpoint of this year's ME 101. In the first three lectures, we discussed the geopolitical competition in the region, its background, and recent developments. In the remaining lectures, we will be shifting our focus to the economic and social challenges faced by the countries within the region. To kick off the second part, we begin by looking at climate change in a desert. With us today to put us in the picture of what this means exactly is Dr. Aisha Al-Sahiri, who is a research fellow at MEI and our climate change expert. Dr. Al-Sahiri is a non-resident fellow at the Middle East Council on Global Affairs and the Arab Gulf States Institute in Washington. Her expertise encompasses political economy, geopolitics, policy and governance of energy, climate and the environment, focusing on the Middle East. Dr. Al-Sahiri's research has been featured in different international media outlets, such as Reuters, the Associated Press, Arab News, and the Asian Times. With extensive working experience in Riyadh, London, and Washington, coupled with several publications, including the Renewable Energy and Climate Policy Journal, you can be assured that whether you're familiar with the issues or a newcomer to the subject, today's lecture will offer a clear overview with fresh insights. With that said, Aisha, please. Much, uh... Misha, for the kind uh, introduction. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you here uh, today. And uh, as Misha mentioned, uh, I will speak uh, about, uh, or I will cover uh, the climate change uh, issue in the Middle East. And for today's lecture, uh, uh, it will have two main objectives. Uh, the first objective is how the Middle East is impacted by the climate change. And the second objective uh, would be on how the Middle East have been addressing the issue of the climate change. Uh, before delving into, the, into to these uh, objectives, first I will give a, a brief background uh, about the Middle East. And secondly, uh, or at the end, I will uh, highlight on why should Singapore care about the climate dynamics in the Middle East. So as a brief background for those, um, I'm sure like everyone is familiar where the Middle East is, uh, but the Middle East, uh, due to the geographic uh, location, it has a, an arid and semi-arid climate conditions. Um, a, the population in the region uh, has been continuously increasing as we see in the second figure. Uh, uh, the, the figure with the trend uh, in the uh, green, and the Middle East, although the countries in the region face uh, common uh, socioeconomic and environmental challenges, uh, you can uh, uh, actually see there, uh, there's a disparity, a vast disparity of uh, security and wealth uh, across the countries in the region. Uh, there are the fragile, uh, the least, the least unstable, uh, politically stable uh, countries uh, like uh, Iraq, Syria, and Iran. Uh, but there are also the emerging economies uh, as well as the 
the most wealthiest countries uh, in per capita basis, which are the Gulf Arab states, uh, including uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, UAE, and Qatar. So uh, with that, uh, uh, I, I mentioned those uh, important uh, you know, uh, uh, facts about the Middle East because these uh, interact pretty much with what is going on uh, when we uh, speak about the climate change. So uh, going to the first objective, how is the Middle East is impacted by the climate change? Now I'm going to expand uh, on the uh, different aspects uh, uh, of the issue. Uh, first of all, uh, the rising temperature. Um, as we already noticed, uh, July, uh, the last July has been confirmed as the hottest uh, month uh, on Earth. And uh, many countries in the uh, Northern Hemisphere has experienced uh, extreme heat events, uh, including China, uh, North America, uh, but also uh, for the Middle East, uh, the uh, highest recourse of the temperature has been, uh, you know, experienced in the Gulf, uh, in the Gulf region. Uh, 66 degrees Celsius have been recorded. Um, and uh, we, uh, for Iran, uh, there was uh, a two-day shutdown uh, holiday because of the extreme uh, heat. And that is uh, mainly because uh, for Iran, uh, Iran depends on the hydropower for the electricity generation. And so because of the heat, there was, uh, uh, you know, a shortages on the water that is needed for uh, generation of the electricity. And, and uh, yeah, that led to a two days shutdown uh, in Iran. Uh, in terms of uh, climate change, climate uh, models uh, suggest that uh, the already hot uh, region uh, well, uh, the, the temperature uh, the temperature will continue to increase uh, towards the mid and the end uh, of the century. Um, the region is compared to other parts of the world is heating as twice faster, and uh, it could uh, heat in a, a worse a worst case scenario by almost five degrees Celsius, and this is much higher than the global target to limit the uh, the uh, rise in the temperature by two, de uh, two degrees Celsius. Also for a region that has an arid and semi-arid climate conditions, uh, climate change is also affecting the rainfall uh, patterns in the region. Generally speaking, uh, the region will experience a reduced uh, amount of the rainfall uh, as we uh, 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 by the mid or the, by the end of the century, uh, but also uh, the region will experience fluctuations on the rainfall. So sometimes we see there are times when there is a, a huge concentration of the rainfall uh, in the region. And that, uh, of course, is going to affect uh, the, the, the economies uh, for the countries in the region, especially for countries that depends uh, on the agriculture as a, a main source of income. And I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, highlight on that more in the next slides. But before going uh, into that, water scarcity is a major challenge for the countries, for the Middle East countries. Uh, the World Resource Institute uh, last month has released uh, data, uh, you know, ranking the countries that are uh, experiencing uh, extreme water stress. 
And uh, there was a list of 25 countries, but the, uh, the majority of these countries are in the Middle East. And as you see in the figure, the extreme high of the water stress is highlighted in uh, a dark red or uh, lighter red, and that is mostly uh, uh, seen in the Middle East. Uh, what is also important uh, to mention uh, when it comes to the water scarcity, uh, the implications of the water scarcity will not be experienced uh, within country borders, um, but also uh, because the water resources uh, are shared uh, between, surf uh, especially for surface water basins, are shared between countries in the region. Um, there, uh, there could be a uh, regional, uh, I mean, climate change could bring uh, uh, regional security issues around uh, the water resources. And for the region, there are five main surface water basins uh, where the water uh, is shared between countries. Uh, an example is the Nile River, which is uh, you know shared between Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt. And we have already seen um, especially over the last few months, uh, some kind of, you know, uh, tension between Ethiopia and Egypt, uh, where the Egypt tried to uh, take the side of Sudan, but Sudan is in the middle, so uh, so it is um, in a, a rock and hard position where to choose a, a side, but cl because climate change, uh, you know. Uh, uh, cause an increase on in the temperature, but also uh, causing the, uh, the problem of the water scarcity on the, uh, the riparian countries. It actually uh, uh, affects the flow of the water to the downstream uh, countries. And this is why it can create issues not only on the Nile, uh, but also uh, in other basins like the Tigris and Euphrates. Uh, so Iraq, for example, uh, is depending on the water resources that comes from Iran uh, as well as from Turkey. So it has been uh, uh, greatly affected by the uh, developments in Iran and in Turkey, especially the development of the dam, uh, the water dams uh, in these countries, which affect the flow of the water. So Iraq is in a really difficult position uh, to uh, and trying to be and very diplomatic uh, with both Iran and Turkey. A uh, similar issue can be seen around the Jordan River Basin and Senegal uh, River Basin as well. So for some other countries, um, also uh, they share the groundwater um, resource, the aquifers, uh, so there are 41 shared aquifers uh, uh, also. Um, an example of this is the Jordan, uh, the, the, the water system uh, between Jordan and Syria. And then there's also the uh, water system that is shared between Jordan uh, and Saudi Arabia. And these are, you know, because of the uh, decline or the uh, the um, peak management of the water resources, it really affects uh, those, uh, the amount of the water in those aquifers and uh, 
it, it creates kind of tensions between countries on who uh, has the right to uh, uh, to have the uh, control of the water resources. So also another uh, important factor to look at when it comes to the climate change in the region uh, is the impact of the climate change on the human security. So uh, as I mentioned in my earlier slides, um, there's a, a scarcity of water, uh, but also because of the climate change, there are also an e events of, you know, uh, uh, high concentration of water, which uh, cause uh, either floods or cyclones. And unfortunately, these events uh, cause uh, human death. Uh, an example is the tropical cyclone that hit Oman back in 2007. Um, and also uh, water shortages. Uh, the example of the water sh shortages in Iran, they for uh, many uh, occasions they have triggered uh, protests uh, in Iran, and that is, uh, as I mentioned, because of the blackout uh, of electricity, and that is mainly because of the water shortages. The I also, in the, the middle picture, I brought the example of uh, the Ethiopian resonance dam, which created tension, as I mentioned, between Sudan uh, and um, between Ethiopia and Egypt. Uh, another uh, important uh, also element to look at uh, uh, when it comes to the climate change is the food uh, security challenge. Now, because of the uh, climatic conditions in the region, the region is already hot. Uh, the water uh, is uh, the water scarcity is already a challenge for the region. So, there's a limited scope for enhancing the agriculture in the region, although the agriculture sector is uh, uh, somehow active in some countries. So for that reason, uh, many countries in the region depend on the, the import of food. Uh, the import of food accounts uh, between 80 to 90 percent for some countries, especially for the Gulf uh, countries. So climate change, even if it doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's going to affect the, the countries in the Middle East region. But in terms of the food security, what happens in other parts of the world uh, when climate change affects the uh, agriculture productivity, it's uh, actually going to affect the uh, supply chain for food and eventually uh, would affect the uh, Middle Eastern countries. We can think of example of the Russia-Ukraine war and how that uh, affected the, uh, the exportation of the wheat. Um, and also during the COVID-19 period, when uh, there was uh, measurements to confine the, the virus, there was also uh, effects on, on the supply chain uh, of food and countries have been affected. Climate change could uh, bring a similar challenges if not addressed properly. And also climate change for countries that depends on the agriculture sector, like Algeria, uh, Egypt, Iran, and Morocco, uh, it could affect the agriculture uh, productivity, uh, which can decline by 60% by 2050. Um, it, uh, it also, um, you know, uh, the, there is an argument that the protest in Syria in 2011 has been caused by the climate change. 
but for some uh, scholars, uh, it is not only climate change, but the interaction of climate change, uh, especially the drought period that uh, took place uh, between 2006 and 2010 has been a, a major uh, factor for you know uh, making uh, uh, a drop in the crop yields uh, in Syria and eventually uh, the the protests that we have seen in the country. Uh, sea level rise uh, is another a challenge for uh, the Middle East countries, especially for the Gulf countries. Uh, why? Because uh, uh, ninety percent of the population in these countries live in cities, and most of these cities uh, are actually located on the coastline. And it is not only the people who live on the cities, but most of the infrastructure like transportation, uh, the uh, power plants, the desalination plants, the ports, uh, and uh, as well as the oil and gas export facilities, all of them are uh, mostly concentrated on the uh, coastline. So the sea level rise uh, is expected for the region to increase between 0.2 and 0.5 meters uh, by the mid of the century. Uh, but also because there is uh, this heavy infrastructure on the coast, uh, that can also uh, lead to a uh, subside of the land. So combined with the sea level rise, uh, uh, actually uh, many countries in the region uh, could lose, uh, you know, permanently uh, a big uh, chunk of the land. But for Bahrain, because it's a small island, uh, some studies suggest that if the sea level rise by one meter, Bahrain can uh, disappear. Right. Um, also, um, the region, although it is a hot and you know, um, uh, it also experienced uh, uh, events of high concentration of rainfall in a short period of time, and that is. Uh, uh, an interaction with the uh, not ready infrastructure to absorb water, it creates flash flood uh, floods, and this is uh, and this is has been uh, you know experienced frequently uh, in the region. Uh, I give uh, some example uh, from Jeddah. Jeddah has uh, been uh, uh, frequently affected by the flash floods in uh, in two thousand nine, uh, two thousand eleven, and twenty twenty. And it caused uh, hundreds of deaths, especially in 2009. Um, and another extreme weather event is uh, the um, the exposure of the region uh, to the uh, tropical cyclones. Uh, and Oman, because Oman is in the coast uh, line of the Arabian Sea, uh, there has been frequent events of cyclones uh, uh, at least four cyclones uh, have been registered in the last 12 years alone. And because of the climate change, the frequency, the intensity uh, of these uh, cyclones has been becoming more and uh, more bigger. Uh, and Cyclone Gono has been, uh, you know, the strongest uh, so far back in 2007. Uh, uh, it killed around 100 people, but it uh, also caused a, a, a damage of, of infrastructure of around $4 billion.
US dollars. Cyclone Shaheen uh, happened uh, two years ago in 2021, and it also has a, a you know um, a great deal of infrastructure damage of around 500 million US dollar. Also, uh, another uh, uh, major implication of climate change is the dust storms. Because the region uh, has, you know, uh, desertic climate conditions, and because the temperatures are increasing, uh, the, uh, the, the water uh, resources are drying up because of the increase in the evaporation. These uh, factors actually leading to the degradation of the soil, and that leads to, uh, uh, you know, increasing the incidence of uh, dust and sandstorms uh, uh, across the region. So these are uh, the pictures you see here are exa uh, recent examples of sandstorms in Kuwait uh, and in Iraq, but Iran also experiencing the sandstorms uh, more frequently. Um, and sandstorms do not does do not have like uh, only uh, human health impacts, uh, but uh, they have also economic impacts uh, because. Uh, they create damage to buildings, to the uh, power lines, um, uh, uh, the crops, uh, and also like uh, to the daily life. Uh, it reduces the visibility, so uh, it causes the shutdown of schools, public offices, and in in the case of uh, the dust storm in Iraq in uh, in twenty two last year. Uh, also, that led to a uh, shutdown of the air spaces uh, and uh, flights ha have been cancelled. Also, because dust storms are, you know, like it doesn't happen in in within the boundary of the country, but they are uh, transboundary in nature. So it starts in one country, but it also flows to the other countries, neighboring countries. So it it has. Uh, over the time created uh, geopolitical tension between countries, especially uh, between Iran um, and their, uh, the regional countries uh, like Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. In uh, some occasions, Iran would blame uh, Turkey for building the dams, uh, which affect the water flow to Syria and Iraq, and uh, again, the degradation of the soil and uh, the, um, the, accu the accurance of the sandstorms uh, in these countries. Okay, um, I, at the beginning, I mentioned uh, the Gulf Arab countries are, you know, uh, are the wealthiest uh, in the region uh, because they uh, host around uh, uh, one third of the oil reserves uh, and around uh, the quarter of the global gas reserves. And uh, because of that, uh, the, the economies of these countries have been uh, pretty much structured uh, around the oil and gas uh, revenues. Uh, I'm showing here the, uh, the revenues uh, uh, from the, uh, the oil and gas account for more than uh, more than eighty percent for some countries, uh, uh, for example, for Bahrain, uh, Kuwait, um, uh, and Qatar, 
uh, of the total revenues, and they uh, also they, they dominate the export uh, portfolio for those countries. And for that specific reason, any uh, you know any decline on the demand for the oil and gas or any uh, implications to the oil prices would translate in negative uh, uh, outlook, economic outlook for the region. And this is why, for example, the OPEC uh, ha has been created, it has been created to uh, stabilize the market, especially when there is a, the market is experiencing uh, low oil prices. Um, so, for the global community, uh, especially since the adoption of the Paris Agreement in 2015, uh, the global community uh, are trying to reduce the dependence on the hydrocarbons and cut greenhouse gas emissions as much as possible, uh, you know, to uh, reach net zero by the mid of the century. And if we look at the um, uh, energy consumption today, it is mostly dominated by the uh, oil and gas, which accounts for 80%, uh, around 80%. To tackle the climate change um, moving in the future, uh, we need to flip the, uh, the game. So uh, we need to decrease the dependence on the hydrocarbons, uh, uh, where it, the dependence on the hydrocarbons become 20%, and the rest of the uh, energy uh, supply and consumption comes from uh, cleaner energy resources, such as uh, renewables. So what I'm showing here in the figure is um, the trade partners for the Gulf countries, uh, which are the EU, the Japan, India, China, uh, and most of the trade partners are now uh, taking strides to address the climate change, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and uh, most of these ambitions, uh, you know, um, uh, try like to reduce the dependence on the uh, fossil fuels. And and there are some models out there uh, that try to look at the outlook of the oil demand on the future and how could that affect the oil consumption uh, so that we can tackle the issue of the climate change. Uh, so for the Gulf or for uh, generally speaking for the oil producing countries, this is a very big concern because uh, most of the uh, energy outlook out there emphasize a reduction on the demand uh, of the fossil fuels. And uh, also they uh, calculate how much of the rent can be lost in advanced uh, climate uh, policy scenarios. So these are the most challenges uh, that I wanted to cover. There are some other challenges, but because of the time I am gonna move to the uh, uh, speaking about how the Middle East uh, tackle the issue of the climate change. So first of all, uh, the Middle East countries are well aware of the climate change challenges and uh, they this is why they are engaged on the international climate regime. Uh, they have 
you know, joined the Paris Agreement. Uh, the majority of them uh, ratified the Paris Agreement. Uh, but what is so important is actually to look at how they uh, are involved in addressing the impacts of the climate change, uh, you know, at home. So um, just to, uh, in this big table, you don't need to look at everything, but the idea is uh, to show that uh, the countries in the region, uh, you know, do have the political will to address the climate change. That is why they have established the institutions uh, to address climate change. And they have set uh, targets, uh, for example, the renewable energy targets and the net zero targets. Um, uh, but they have also, some of them has established strategies on how to mitigate and adapt uh, to the climate change. Uh, uh, a quick example uh, is for the UAE. The UAE is one of the first countries uh, to uh, establish a green growth strategy where it tries to address the climate change issues along with the development uh, plans. Uh, but again, uh, what is so important is the implementation of those strategies and the targets. So um, if we look at the uh, how the countries are trying to you know, uh, deal with the climate change issues, uh, we spoke uh, at the beginning about, uh, about the high temperature. So cooling, the, especially for um, the Gulf countries, have, uh, have had long experience with cooling. Uh, because the temperature there uh, without cooling, it's unbearable. Um, but cooling is actually accounting for about 70% of the uh, electricity consumption uh, in the region. And the, the electricity consumption is one of the most highest on per capita basis uh, in the Gulf uh, country. And this trend, because of... Climate change is making the region is more hot. Uh, is going also to increase. Uh, more cooling will be needed uh, in the future, and that means uh, more electricity also will be needed. And oil and gas has been the main source uh, for electricity generation in the region. What I also want to say that. These factors that I am speaking about, they are pretty much interlinked with one another. Um, so economic development is also connected with the climate change. Um, also in terms of the water scarcity, um, I mean, the, the, the countries in the Middle East still depend on, on the surface water like the rivers, um, as well as groundwater. Uh, but because of the um, uh, the weak management of the water and the high rates of the consumption, uh, these resources are, and also because of uh, reduced uh, amount of the rainfall, these resources are no, not sustainable in the long term. So one of the solution is to build the desalination plants. Uh, so the Middle East at the moment uh, account for more than 53% of the uh, desalination that takes place uh, uh, globally. And this, uh, the, there's more and more uh, desalination projects uh, are built uh, in the region. 
uh, and the world energy outlook uh, expect a 14-fold increase uh, of the desalination uh, by 2040. Uh, another uh, way also that, especially for the Gulf region, on uh, finding an alternative uh, source of water is the cloud seeding. Uh, uh, the, the UAE has been investing a lot in the cloud seeding, uh, but also Saudi Arabia is uh, investigating uh, this technology as well. Um, wastewater, uh, the reuse of the wastewater. So the region is also uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, to um, clean up the wastewater and reuse it. But the current reuse, unlike here in Singapore, the reused water uh, can be used for drinking, but uh, in the region, it is mostly used for the agriculture and the landscape uh, irrigation. And also because I mentioned there are some uh, regional uh, climate issues uh, around the water. Um, the, the, the countries in the region from a government point of view are aware of those kind of challenges, and this is why they have established uh, different institutions to look at these issues, uh, including the Arab Ministerial Water Council in the Arab League, uh, the Ministerial Water and Electricity uh, Cooperation Committee in the under the Gulf Cooperation Council. Uh, ESQUA is also involved in many uh, regional water uh, management in the region. And then there is uh, the um, the Middle East, uh, the Middle East uh, Desalination Research Center, Midrick, which is uh, based in Oman. Uh, uh, it looks at it. It conducts research and training uh, for the uh, uh, shared water resources and the desalination. And also, there are some um, other. Uh, <coughs> regional institutions that have been uh, like uh, have been developed uh, across the region the most recent of which is the middle east green initiative uh, that was established in 2021 and uh, it has many uh, ambitions uh, to address the the different climate issues that we spoke about including uh, in the area of cloud seeding uh, uh, in the area of tackling the uh, dust storms uh, through the early weather warning um, uh, uh, of storms. Um, however, if we looked at these uh, regional institutions and uh, my colleague and I, we conducted a study back in 2019, most of these institutions have uh, a historical record of being really uh, weak um, uh, and they uh, barely have uh, implementation or climate action uh, orientation. So uh, the, the, the strategies are not clear on how these uh, you know, initiatives could achieve the ambitions that have been set. Uh, in terms of the food security, um, just so briefly, um, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the agri the scope for enhancing the agriculture is very limited. So some countries, uh, such as the UAE, is looking at the vertical uh, farming and the food tech. 
uh, aquaculture is uh, also uh, a major industry to enhance food security across the region. Also, the Middle East country realize um, uh, the importance to engage with the energy transition. Uh, so they invest uh, on the renewable energy. Uh, the renewable energy uh, installed capacity has uh, increased uh, in the region over the, the past decade or so. Uh, although as of today, uh, the oil and gas continue con to contribute, uh, you know, about 90% of the energy needs are met through the oil and gas. Uh, for the Gulf countries, uh, just to give a perspective uh, on and a comparison between countries and who is investing uh, uh, more in renewable energy, the UAE is leading uh, compared to the other Gulf. Um, but uh, as we see over the past uh, decade, there has been an increase uh, in the renewable energy installed capacity. Um, also, um, the national oil companies uh, across the region uh, are taking uh, you know, a role in setting net zero targets. Uh, ADNOC uh, have uh, set a net zero target by actually 2045. The 2050 has been revised. The Oman-based BDO also have uh, set a net zero target as well as Saudi Aramco. Uh, because uh, especially for the Gulf countries, uh, they understand the importance of diversifying the energy resources uh, as well as diversifying the economies and the importance of reducing the dependence on the hydrocarbon. But of course, this is a, a very challenging task uh, for the uh, Gulf countries. Uh, also, we have uh, seen uh, there is a hype on the hydrogen uh, development, uh, especially for the Gulf Arab states. Uh, there are uh, several projects in the pipeline, and some of them are expected to be operational uh, by the end of this year. Also, the countries in the region have been involved in climate diplomacy. Uh, the host um, we have uh, four countries uh, so far has hosted the COP uh, over the last few years, Morocco, Qatar, and Egypt. Uh, and this year, COP28 will be hosted uh, in the UAE. So from a researcher perspective is whether the host of these COPs you know, will enhance uh, uh, or advance the implementation of climate policies in the region. Uh, but we wait and see. Uh, this is my last slide uh, because the UAE is hosting the COP this year. The question is whether the UAE is taking a role to uh, reflect on the regional climate issues that face the Middle East. If we look at the uh, COP28 agenda, there are elements uh, that look at the food security uh, the water secure, uh, scarcity and security, uh, but also at the uh, the peace and security in the region. Uh, what I'm showing here in this slide is the um, the formal uh, agenda that would be discussed during COP28, because the UAE is a hydrocarbon uh, rich country. Uh, uh, the it is under pressure uh, also 
to uh, play a leading role in facing uh, down the fossil fuels. Uh, and uh, uh, over the last few months, since the announcement of the UAE as a, a COP host, there has been a, a great deal of criticism uh, on uh, the UAE approach toward the hydrocarbon. So uh, the face down uh, of the fossil fuel uh, will be um, uh, a major agenda that would be discussed during the COP. Already the European countries are camping for a face out, but not a face down of the fossil fuels. Uh, so this is putting a, a kind of a pressure for the UAE and the regional uh, oil producing countries. Um, if there is a question of whether the, the scope will be a game changer, uh, the hope that the UAE will be the first, uh, you know, the, the COP28 in the UAE will be the first COP to take a stock uh, on the uh, country's progress towards climate change. It will be the first time the, uh, the progress of the countries will be uh, assessed. Uh, and uh, this is uh, creating a hope that this would create some pressure on the countries to advance their climate uh, policies. Um, yes, I forgot, like I have the uh, slide on Singapore, um, but this is my last slide. Um, so um, since we are speaking here in Singapore, uh, the question is why Singapore should care about the dynamics in the Middle East when it comes to the climate change. Uh, Singapore uh, depends uh, on around 36% uh, of its fuel imports uh, on the Middle East. And uh, as I mentioned, UAE is hosting the COP this year. So it's the hope also it will be an Asia COP reflecting not only the Middle East uh, concerns, but uh, concerns in Asia, which is uh, part of the global South. So these countries would have uh, similar challenges when it comes to uh, climate and the energy. Uh, but also uh, the two regions have, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, similar uh, aspirations when it comes to the energy uh, transition, as well as they have common climate challenges, including the water uh, security, the sea level rise, as well as the exposure to extreme weather events. So with that, uh, I leave you with those pictures from the region that I took them uh, during my stay uh, uh, in the Gulf over the last few years. So thank you very much, and I look forward to the questions. Well, thank you so much for that. And that was nice pictures. So now we move on to the next, and I think everybody's favorite part of the lecture, uh, the question and answer. For those in the audience, please raise your hand and a microphone will be brought to you. Uh, for those of you online, please send your questions via Zoom and I will read them out. Now, if I may ask the first question, uh, linking it back to the first part of our lecture series on geopolitical competition, as Gulf countries strive in their climate action plans and things like that, do you see it as a, a driver or of cooperation or of competition between, between them in the region? Uh, for the countries within the region? Within the region. Okay, um, so thank you very much for the question. Um, uh, from historical perspective, 
uh, we have seen that the, there isn't much of a cooperation. This is why we see the there are still uh, uh, environmental and cl climate-related issues, especially uh, over shared water resources. Um, however, um, as I mentioned, there is the the governments in the region uh, understand uh, the importance of cooperation. Uh, as I mentioned, also um, there's these institutions that have been established have been weak uh, in terms of. Uh, um, achieving the objectives uh, because there is no somehow it, it is because of the data so sometimes it's because of the human capacity that is needed to address those challenges uh, however um, I, I also see more of a competition coming up uh, especially as countries address the issue of the climate change. Because my expertise, uh, my core expertise is focused on the Gulf uh, uh, oil producing Gulf countries, I can see, especially in the area of the energy transition, more of a competition uh, in developing the renewable, uh, the hydrogen, uh, because, um, you know, uh, these countries uh, are in position uh, to uh, create uh, uh, a competitive uh, advantage uh, as they transition uh, away from the hydrocarbon, but also as they uh, make their own energy transition. So for the hydrogen, for renewable, I can see more of a competition, uh, but not much of working together. Uh, although there is a, the GCC electricity grid, that has been uh, established, uh, I think, back in 1980s. Um, it is still like no, uh, I think it's only 5% uh, uh, operational in terms of the uh, uh, trading the electricity between countries. So it is not fully operational. So this is also another indication we see more of competition than cooperation. Oh, thank you. Something for them to think about, I suspect. All right. Any questions from the floor? Ah. Yes. So Jean-Luc Saman from the Middle East Institute. Uh, my question relates to uh, your view, Aisha, on the, um, the, the challenge of reforms for political stability, especially in the, the Gulf. Because, for instance, in Europe, there's a in principle, the, the citizens are uh, f supporting reforms for climate change, but some of the reforms introduce new taxes or cuts in the subsidies. And that's the moment where things get more complex. Uh, in France, the Yellow Jacket movement was created after the introduction of a tax that was aiming at uh, reforms for climate change. So in the Gulf, I was wondering, how do you see the, the potential, uh, especially in countries which uh, heavily rely on subsidies, so uh, for water consumption, for uh, oil and gas, how do you think that the Gulf states can manage that, uh, not just in terms of the economic reforms, but how can they make sure that the citizens are aware of the uh, the challenges ahead? Well, that's very uh, good question. Thank you very much, uh, Jean-Luc. Um, 
Well, it is a very uh, uh, important uh, issue to look at is the socio-economic implications of climate action. So it's not only the climate change impacts, but also advancing climate policies in the region could have negative implications, as you mentioned, similar maybe to uh, protests in France. For the Gulf countries, uh, because there's a social contract where most of the services, as you mentioned, the water and the electricity are heavily subsidized. So to advance climate policy, especially when it comes to the area of the uh, energy transition, uh, enhancing the competition of renewable energy, we will need uh, to make uh, the cost of renewable energy com competitive to that of the uh, fossil fuel uh, services. And for the Gulf countries, uh, uh, the electricity services, because they are heavily subsidized, it is very cheap. So it doesn't create more room for renewable energy to be competitive. And so to advance climate uh, uh, policies and to uh, enhance the integration of renewables, uh, what is important is to reform the energy subsidies. Um, so that we can make the renewables more competitive. And that, of course, is uh, going to affect the social contract uh, between the state and the citizens. Um, and actually, uh, looking back, it is not uh, uh, pretty much a new subject, especially for the Gulf countries, where I look very closely. There has been some uh, energy price reforms in the UAE, in Saudi Arabia and Oman. And that uh, happened not because of climate drivers, but because of um, economic uh, drivers. They happened when the oil prices uh, have uh, dropped uh, in 2014. Uh, uh, so in Saudi Arabia, uh, we see, uh, we saw two times of the uh, the price actually in 2014 and also during the financial crisis 2008. So we have seen uh, energy price reforms. Um, and again, it is about the human capacity on how to do it. And your question is how to uh, avoid the negative implications. So at the beginning, we have seen some mild of a protest in, in some countries uh, in the region because of the increase of the fuel prices uh, as well as the electricity prices. Uh, but with the experience, uh, I can give the example of Saudi Arabia. They have introduced uh, the citizen, citizen um, account. Uh, so the 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 low income groups uh, will be you know receiving uh, cash uh, to compensate for the high fuel and electricity prices but of course for the uh, middle income groups uh, they can afford it um, so they they don't receive any kind of uh, compensation so I think this kind of, you know, learning process can be applied uh, moving forward uh, uh, when advancing climate policies. I hope you know. Uh, we have another question from the audience. Thank you so much, Misha. Thank you, Aisha, for that wonderful presentation. Uh, you have mentioned about the Paris Agreement. I, I think the epochal 
development in terms of checking the climate uh, problem. Uh, Iran has not ratified it, right? And it is among the, it's rated as the sixth largest greenhouse gas emitter. In terms of hydrocarbon equivalent gas and oil, it is the largest repository. And it says that uh, since, uh, because the US sanctions, it has not been ratifying it. Mm. Now you understand the problem that's being created and the problem that small island nations like Singapore, Seychelles, Maldives. So would you advocate uh, given this kind of problem, global problem, would you advocate uh, the lifting of sanctions, U.S. sanctions from Iran to save the world from this climate uh, problem? Or would you advocate uh, adhering to the concerns of the regional countries emanating from Iran's nuclear program? Which one would you advocate? Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's a very difficult question. But sanctions... Uh... Uh, when sanctions are put on the country, it, you know, reduces uh, the chances for the country to attract the foreign uh, investments. Uh, and for Iran, which I'm not pretty much an expert on, uh, but for Iran, um, you know, because of the sanctions, uh, the country uh, needs to uh, depend and consume it is uh, hydrocarbon resources for the electricity production uh, and uh, for uh, also uh, running uh, its own industries. And for Iran, we see um, it is not only the dust storms, but they have uh, those uh, um, uh, periods of uh, air pollution uh, because um, uh, because of the consumptions of the oil and gas uh, locally. So the in this way, the sanction is counterproductive when it comes to addressing climate change issues. And for Iran, of course, it would uh, you know not ratify the Paris Agreement because if the sanction continue, uh, it will not it will be under kind of obligation, to also uh, transition away from its own hydrocarbon uh, resources. This is why Iran didn't want to ratify the Paris Agreement. So it is uh, perhaps uh, more of employing the science to understand whether uh, from climate perspective, this is uh, a good or a bad thing. For me, I think it's a bad thing. All right. Uh, we have another question from the audience and after that, I think we'll take one or two questions from our online audience. Please. Yeah, my name is Jin Sok from Energy Studies Institute. You've mentioned the price competitiveness of renewables and it's uh, more expensive which and it is hindering the development of uh, renewable energy in the Middle East. And in, in many areas, renewables are more expensive, but in, in some area also it's uh, sometimes solar is cheaper. But could you explain, elaborate uh, how how much more the renewables are expensive in comparison with the uh, existing traditional fuels? So the differences gap is very big or can be, uh, how do you say, uh, overcome? It can be overcome or something like that. Okay, great question. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, so um, I don't have the exact figures. Uh, I have done some research back in 2017, like and then I didn't update myself um, 
uh, on that. Uh, however, what I know for sure that still like uh, despite the uh, uh, energy policy reforms that took place in some countries, uh, still the access to the electricity uh, services uh, is more cheaper than opting for renewable energy, which uh, uh, maybe is not the cost of the production, but also the capital cost of uh, renewable energy. Um, in terms of how different the sectors are, uh, I'm afraid also like, uh, yeah, I don't have uh, the exact numbers for that. Well, actually, we have a question online that is somewhat related to the previous question. Mm. Um, given that it was mentioned that these uh, Gulf countries have economies structured around oil and gas, and they have, and that the current climate mitigation measures will have some sort of impact on their own incomes and revenues from the oil and gas industry because it, it will reduce demand. Yeah. Uh, what sort of continuity of economy measures do they do these countries uh, have for the future? Are they making plans to to shield themselves from the loss of revenue? Yeah, well, it's a a, a very good question uh, and valid question actually. Um, can be complicated. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, this is a this is a, a concern that the oil producing countries in the region are looking at very closely, mm -hmm. and this is why we see the countries in the region are uh, you know um, deploying uh, economic diversification uh, measures to reduce the dependence uh, on a single source uh, of income, which is uh, at the moment uh, either the oil or the gas. Um, so, uh, the way the Gulf countries are trying to diversify is to, uh, increase the role of the private sector, uh, create programs that, uh, you know, um, uh, uh create opportunities for the small, medium, uh, enterprises, uh, and also, uh, to, invest very largely on the sovereign wealth fund uh, so uh, they can benefit uh, in the meantime on the revenues that comes from the oil and gas. So for some countries like Saudi Arabia, the public investment uh, fund is uh, also trying to diversify its investment and not only focused on the uh, the traditional hydrocarbon sector, but also uh, to uh, invest in uh, emerging sectors like uh, elec um, electric vehicles. They had uh, an agreement with Lucid, uh, some shares with the Lucid company, um, um, and also uh, to invest on the tourism sector, uh, uh, as well as um, uh, investing in the education so they can strengthen uh, the human capacity uh, in the country. That said, I said it is uh, complicated because uh, with the climate change impact, the outlook of the climate change impacts is also bringing complications on all of those kind of investments uh, moving forward, uh, especially, for example, if we look at the uh, tourism sector, um, the high temperature is, for example, is going to reduce the uh, period for the tourists to come to the region. 
uh, because for for the region this summer the it is two off seasons summer and winter the the winter is the temperature is not as low as if you go to Europe uh, but the winter is uh, around four months um, but with the climate change maybe these four months are going also to become three months um, so um, and then also because um, most of the investments uh, taking place around the coastal line uh, lines um, they are also uh, can be affected by the sea level rise uh, we see some uh, big uh, projects investments um, taking place across the countries a major example is the NEO uh, a, a project uh, in the Red Sea uh, which uh, strive to be uh, a carbon neutral uh, project uh, that runs uh, mainly on renewable energy uh, and also where the country strives to uh, develop most of the hydrogen uh, plants there and to make it a uh, uh, food independent uh, a project. Um, well, it is, uh, you know, uh, there are some trials in the region uh, uh, to diversify, uh, but again, I think uh, it's too important to factor in the implications of climate change and how are they going to affect those investments in the long term. Right. Thank you. We have another question online. Um, it is linked to something you said in your presentation. At one point you said uh, the UAE is leading in renewable energy conversion. Yeah. So the question is, which country is uh, most advanced in climate action overall in the region? And um, what makes them the most advanced in in uh, climate action? Okay, so uh, it's not easy maybe to compare because uh, the countries in the region uh, have different uh, uh, size of economies, uh, different uh, size of uh, natural resources, um, uh, uh, as well as uh, you know uh, size of the population so uh, it's diff uh, as well as the different size of wealth that is needed to invest uh, but looking at who have maybe invested uh, uh, or advanced uh, their investments on the climate related projects uh, from my research uh, I think the UAE is more advanced because uh, the UAE, is not only investing on renewable energy, but also uh, is more advanced when it comes to the economic diversification. Uh, although the hydrocarbons are contributing heavily to the uh, country income, but they managed to uh, develop uh, new economic sectors, uh, especially, for example, in the uh, real estate, uh, uh, tourism, uh, the logistic, um, uh, but they are also more advanced on enabling the private sector and the small medium enterprises. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, also as the countries in the region strive uh, to uh, develop a knowledge-based economy, the UAE, uh, although 
the localization of the technology is not contributing much to the export, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it is more advanced to com compare to the other uh, countries. Um, okay, so, thank yeah. you. Are there any more questions from the audience here? Hi, Muhan. Um, so I just want to ask, like, with there being like talks between US, uh, Israel, and Saudi Arabia, whereby there's going to be improvement in relations between Saudi and Arabia and Israel, where there's going to be a eventual, there might be an eventual recognition uh, of Saudi Arabia recognizing Israel as a, like an official state. How how do you think this will affect the dynamics of the Gulf and Middle Eastern countries, and how do you think this will impact efforts towards elevating like climate change, like by the by the Gulf and Middle Eastern countries? Oh, can you repeat the question again, please? Oh, sorry, uh, uh, just say again. So, like, there being talks between US, Israel, and Saudi Arabia to improve, um, like relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel, where there's going to be a, like there might be an eventual recognition of Israel by Saudi Arabia. How do you think this will impact, like, impact, uh, impact the dynamics of the Gulf and the Middle Eastern countries, and how would this then impact the efforts towards like tackling climate change? Okay, okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh... Okay, Jalov can answer this question. <laughs> oh, right. Um, well, actually, uh, what we can look at at the moment, uh, uh, the the relation between Saudi Arabia and Iran, at least it's getting better since the last agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And so in terms of enhancing the regional climate action and cooperation, uh, this can bring hopes uh, uh, in terms of uh, advancing the cooperation between the GCC uh, and Iran. Uh, in terms of Israel, although uh, the normalization with Israel with Saudi Arabia may be not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, however, Israel and other Gulf countries, uh, such as the UAE, um, uh, are working closely together in, in several issues, uh, including in the area of the climate and the uh, energy transition. Uh, there is, um, the UAE has been involved in, uh, you know, uh, an initiative between Israel and Jordan, uh, where Jordan produced uh, the solar energy uh, and uh, Israel uh, is producing uh, uh, desalinated water, and they trade uh, trade in the exchange for uh, uh, energy for for water. So, if Saudi Arabia also uh, normalize with Israel, uh, we can see more of uh, you know cooperation between countries. Uh, in Israel. Uh, Actually, Israel is more advanced uh, compared to the Gulf countries when it comes to the innovation, when it comes also to the investment in the water desalination. Uh, and so uh, that can create uh, also and more avenues for the uh, both sides to learn from one another uh, rather than just uh, uh, excluding one uh, another. I hope I addressed, but thanks for coming. We have a few questions online asking similar questions, so I'll try and amalgamate these questions in, into to one question. You answered a little bit of, of it uh, with uh, Jean-Luc's first question. But overall, um, other than a bit of backlash from 
people unhappy with oil prices rising and things like that for for local consumers. What do the people on the ground in Middle East countries feel about climate change? Is there a sense of urgency? Are there grassroots efforts to uh, to address it? Uh, are the youth getting involved? Um, and is there a religious and cultural dimension to uh, tackling climate change specifically in, in the Gulf region? Okay. Oh, right. Um, so the youth uh, in, the, uh, in the Gulf region, you said? No, okay. Okay, um, so yeah, so the youth uh, uh, accounts for a big chunk uh, of the population uh, in the Middle East in general. They account for around uh, one third of the population are between 15 and 30 years old. Um, and so this uh, generation will be the most impacted by uh, the implications of climate change uh, that we experience today, but we will experience in the future. Um, in terms of their engagement with the climate issues, uh, at the moment, because of the uh, current political structures, um, the, the, the youth, um, there is a, a small scope for engagement, uh, when it comes to the um, you know uh, youth involvement, however, there are some small uh, groups uh, of uh, uh, youth movements uh, in the region, um, uh, and the UAE, the host of the COP twenty eight uh, this year, is actually also uh, creating the platform. Uh, for the youth to come together and then to also voice out uh, their concerns during the COP. Uh, so, but again, in terms of the implication, uh, the scope is limited. And also another thing is uh, to what extent uh, the young generation are aware of the impacts of the climate change. Uh, now also uh, the Middle East uh, is one of the most uh, uh, regions in the world that has uh, access uh, to the uh, social media platforms. So in that way, uh, the social media platforms providing the education around the climate, uh, whether the positive or the negative uh, education about uh, climate change, but also um, as I mentioned, the governments uh, also uh, do understand the importance of uh, raising the awareness about climate issues. So slowly, some of the governments are integrating the climate science in the education curricula. Uh, it is happening in Oman and in, 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 the, in the UAE, as far as I know. Uh, so I hope I did answer the question. Well, yes, thank you. And, and with... Yes, you mentioned with COP28, bringing in the youths, um, you also talked about how there would be a game changer because this would be the first COP that um, requires them, the countries to report on the progress. Mm -hmm. Now, how how easy or what difficulties do you think uh, you foresee in enforcing this and actually implementing these progress reports, you know, open and honest reporting from, from participating countries? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Um... Uh, it's a really good question, uh, because when it comes to the Paris Agreement, although it is a legally binding agreement, uh, yet uh, the the country's action on climate remains uh, voluntary. 
because uh, if country doesn't meet uh, it is uh, climate ambitions that are outlined in the nationally determined contributions, uh, then there is no kind of taking to the country to a court and say, uh, like, uh, you have to do more. It is more of, uh, you know, the Paris Agreement is taking more of um, uh, enhancing the voluntary climate action. Uh, so it is uh, the global stock take when it takes place because there will be a measure of the country's progress. And this, uh, what also Paris Agreement is doing is to uh, enhance the transparency uh, in the reporting. So that uh, measurement of the progress will be put online so everyone can look at it. Uh, so the way that we are hoping we will see more of action uh, because we will see, um, you know, pointing of fingers, which can create the pressure on countries. So, yeah. Right. Well, well, fingers crossed on that front. We have another question online, and I think this one is related to your, your last slide, the one about Singapore. They are asking if um, Singapore is selling any uh, equipment or expertise on dealing with water security issues to Middle East countries. It's a very good question. Uh, I I haven't looked at it uh, very closely, uh, so I might not have an answer. But what I know, uh, Singapore has a free trade agreement uh, uh, with the Gulf countries. And then there has been uh, a sign of memorandum of understanding between the two sides uh, in, in the area of uh, renewable energy, uh, uh, for example. Uh, on the hydrogen, um, and probably because I don't know, but probably on the water. Well, thank you for that. And potentially, um, we have the contact details of that person. We could email them, reach out later on when we do have an answer. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Any other questions from the audience? Ah, yes, please. One of the projects you mentioned just now uh, in the works of diversification of their economy in Saudi Arabia, the Neon project, I mean, one of the flagship projects, which is the line, like it seems like a rather futuristic and very like high technological project. And how do you think like developments of this project will be like, do you think it's like feasible to carry out the whole project or will the project be like aborted in like years to come? Okay, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, this is uh, uh, the uh, the line project uh, aspires to be uh, a sustainable uh, project, and it is a five billion uh, US dollar uh, project. Um, at the moment, the finance of the project will depend on the revenues that comes from the export of the oil. Um, now, if we don't speak about the impacts of the climate change, uh, the fluctuations of the oil prices have already uh, affected the, you know, uh, the progress uh, uh, on investing on the project. Um, uh, there were times uh, after COVID, the, the project did, uh, was not a priority for the government because the government wanted to focus on uh, uh, the health sector, also, as well as the economic re recovery from COVID. So 
it is very ambitious from my point of view. Uh, and speaking about it from climate perspective, uh, also uh, as countries progress on their climate action, maybe uh, we see a peak on the demand for the oil and then that could uh, potentially affect also the revenues that comes from the project. Uh, but the project is very, uh, it has, is multifaceted uh, if we want to assess uh, it is sustainability. The building of the project uh, might depend on the hydrocarbon resources. So that is in a way is not really sustainable, but maybe the outcome would be uh, sustainable. It would pretty much depend uh, on the designing uh, of the project. For example, it is a hot environment. So the design needs to be very clever in how to uh, enable the project to cool uh, uh, itself. Um, so that is the aspiration behind it. But also, uh, uh, not too many people live in the region at the moment. So it would also require uh, bringing people uh, to, the, to that specific. And the line, the structure of it is the saline. Um, uh, so it would also depend uh, on the people preferences to, to live in such an environment. Um, maybe people would want to go and visit, but to live there, uh, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but thanks, it's a difficult question that I, yeah, I wish I could have an answer for. Thank you. And with that final answer, I think we unfortunately are drawing to the end of our time today. Thank you so much, Aisha, for an uh, informative lecture. I certainly learned a lot, and I'm certain I'm not alone. Thank you so much to the audience for joining us here in person or online. Uh, please return next week, uh, same time, same place, for our lecture on the changing gulf a look at domestic policies and social reforms delivered by another one of our colleagues, Dr. Clemens Che. Uh, good evening and take care.